This is Laura Lummer, the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach. I'm a healthy lifestyle coach, a clinical Ayurveda specialist, a personal trainer, and I'm also a breast cancer survivor. In this podcast, we talk about healthy thinking and mindfulness practices, eating well, moving your body for health and longevity, and we'll also hear from other breast cancer survivors who have re-engaged with life and have incredible stories to share. This podcast is your go-to resource for getting back to life after breast cancer. Well, hello and welcome to episode 50 of the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach. Today we're talking about metabolic syndrome and breast cancer. I'm Laura Lummer, your host. And before we get too deep into the show, I want to say thank you for listening to the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach, for downloading this episode, for subscribing. And if you listen to the show, you enjoy it, and you haven't yet taken the time to hit subscribe or tell Siri to subscribe for you, please take a moment and do that now because I would love for more people to be able to find the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach, and they do that by you subscribing to the show and taking the time to go in and leave a review. And I know that that takes a few extra moments out of your day, and sometimes we have the intention of doing that and never get around to it. I get it. But if you can do that for me, I would really, really appreciate it. And one more announcement. Just want to remind you that as of this recording coming out, which will be on Sunday, July 28th, this is the last few days to get into Revivify at the introductory price of only $37, which is a crazy screaming deal, you guys. I am revamping the program. It's got new videos, new content, new structure, and as of August 1st, a new price. So get in there now get it for 37 you're in for life, you'll get all the new stuff, and you'll get my coaching and support all along the way. So I look forward to seeing you in Revivify, and now I want to share a quick story with you. So last week, I went to get my nails done. I'm sitting in the nail salon, and about five feet away from me is a woman who is getting a pedicure. She's sitting in one of the spa chairs. And there's an empty chair next to her. A few minutes later, a second woman comes in and sits down next to her. And when she does this, the first woman starts to have a little bit of a coughing fit. And the second woman offers her a cough drop, and they start chatting. And of course, I can't help but overhear their chat because I'm sitting just a few feet away. So the second woman asks the first if she's getting her nails done to go do something fun. And the first woman says, oh, no, I have four children. There's no time for me. I have to take care of everyone else. And you guys, I just about had a coughing fit right there because I was trying to swallow my tongue. She goes on to talk about how she's the mother of four children, two of which are adults, but she still has to do so much for them. Okay, so you know how I feel about treating yourself well and making yourself a priority. And by that, I mean, you've got to make time to take what you need for your well-being, for your healing, and just basically to figure your shit out. Like you cannot get in touch with that voice, that source, that feeling in you that gives you direction in life, that helps you come to terms with things if you don't have some downtime. You 
simply cannot do it. You cannot do it. And if you have small children, I know it's difficult. I raised four children. And for several years, I was a single parent working full time and raising four children. It's tough. I get it. But I also know because of that experience, you must find a way to make your self-care doable. Because in order to have the energy and that sense of calm and humanity that it takes to raise children and to maybe work outside the home in a demanding job, working inside the home in a demanding job, taking care of everything, you've got to take care of yourself first. And you have to make sure that you're exercising regularly and you're preparing good food for everybody, not just for you. And will there be lapses in your routine? Were there lapses in mine? Of course. But it's not about living a perfect life. It's about doing the best you can with a focus on eating well and exercising regularly most of the time. It's about making health a priority in life. And if you do have small children, trust me, one of the best things you can do is teach them how to exercise with you and how to make it fun. Make a point of playing frisbee at the park or in the backyard. There are all kinds of fun 5Ks like color runs and bubble runs and glow-in-the-dark runs that kids can participate in with you, and it's fun. And it's also the responsibility of us as parents to teach our little humans how to properly nourish and care for their bodies. I know that it's so awesome for me now to see my adult children making a priority out of going to the gym. I saw my oldest son food prepping and my granddaughter telling me how he gets food ready and that lights up my heart. That makes me happy because there was a lot of time where that was not happening over many, many years. But when you ingrain those habits and practices in them when they're young, there is a time that they circle back and they realize that self-care is a priority. It must be. It's just like that airplane oxygen mask routine that they run you through every time you get on a flight. If something goes wrong, you got to get yourself hooked up first before you can help anybody else. And health is no different. You've got to feel good. You've got to take care of yourself before you can take care of anybody else. And the bottom line is it is time in this world, in this universe, in your life, for women everywhere to understand and embrace their value. And especially I mean that for women who are struggling with or recovering from cancer treatment. Working yourself to death and never caring for yourself is not a badge of honor. Taking care of yourself, owning your value, setting healthy boundaries, and making time to take good care of yourself, those are badges of honor. Those are the things that the loved ones around you will see and be inspired by. No one ever said, I can't wait to be a martyr just like my mom. No one ever. So set the example for your loved ones that they will aspire to follow. Okay, that's a perfect segue into this week's topic, which is metabolic syndrome and cancer treatment. And we'll talk about what metabolic syndrome is, as well as the connection between diabetes and breast cancer. I'll give you some insights on 
what the causes can be, and some steps you can take to work toward preventing or reversing metabolic syndrome. And the reason why that fits in with the introduction is because it takes time. If you're facing the condition that we're going to talk about, ladies, it takes time. It, and it takes an investment of time and energy and money. It takes time and you've got to prioritize it because you're going to hear if you're dealing with some of these symptoms and you don't make the time to face them and manage them, it can end up being really serious. So let me first define metabolic syndrome and why you should be paying attention to it. And then I'll tell you how it relates to breast cancer and to breast cancer treatment. Metabolic syndrome is a collection of five symptoms. If you have three of these five symptoms, you are considered to have metabolic syndrome. And they are high blood pressure, high fasting blood sugar, so if you're fasting, if you haven't eaten in 12 hours or more and your blood sugar is still 100 or greater than 100 milligrams per deciliter, that's high fasting blood sugar. Having a large waistline, which for women is considered to be 32 inches or more. Having high triglyceride levels, which is the, the fats that are in your blood. And if you have greater than 150 milligrams per deciliter, that's considered to be high triglycerides. Having low HDL cholesterol levels, that's the good cholesterol, high-density lipoproteins. If your HDL level is 40 milligrams per deciliter or lower, that is considered low HDL. Okay, so high blood pressure, high fasting blood sugar, large waistline, high triglycerides, low HDL. If you have three of those five, you are considered to have metabolic syndrome. Now, metabolic syndrome is a bit of a double-edged sword because studies show that if you already have metabolic syndrome, you're at a higher risk of developing breast cancer. And on the flip side, if you've been treated for breast cancer with chemotherapy, you have a higher risk of developing metabolic syndrome and diabetes. And we're going to get to that in a minute. Now, I want to distinguish two things here. One, metabolic syndrome is not a disease. It's a collection of risk factors that indicate your risk of disease, and that disease is type 2 diabetes. Number two, metabolic syndrome is not prediabetes. Prediabetes has additional criteria, and that includes, according to the American Diabetes Association, a hemoglobin A1C range from 5.7 to 6.4%, a fasting glucose range of 100 to 125 milligrams per deciliter, and an oral glucose tolerance from 140 to 199. Now, let me go back for a minute and explain hemoglobin A1C is a measurement of what your average blood sugar over the past two or three months is. And the way that's distinguished is this test is looking at the amount of sugar that's technically kind of stuck to the hemoglobin in your red blood cells. And the hemoglobin is a protein in your red blood cells. It's the protein that carries oxygen throughout your body. So the higher your blood sugar is, the more glucose or blood sugar will stick to this protein in your red blood cells. And because red blood cells live about 120 days, they're around long enough to accumulate a lot of that glucose 
if you have a consistent high blood sugar situation going on. So a high HbA1c test can be a warning that you need to start taking some action to get your blood sugar in check. So what does this have to do with breast cancer treatment? Well, if you listen to episode 45, I referred to a study by Women's College Hospital Women's Research Institute in Toronto, Canada. And that study included over 140,000 cancer survivors and non-cancer survivors. Out of all the women in the study, all 140,000, nearly 10% of them developed diabetes within six years from the start of the research. However, the risk for the breast cancer survivors in the study was 7% higher than the women who had not had cancer. And of those survivors who had chemotherapy as a part of their treatment, they had a 24% higher risk of developing diabetes within two years after diagnosis compared to women who had not had breast cancer. And after 10 years, that 7% increased risk for all breast cancer survivors grew to 21%. So what is going on here? And what does this have to do with metabolic syndrome? Well, diabetes is a disease that is rooted in insulin resistance. And even though it's much more complicated than that, it has many more factors. That's something that we really want to look at. And metabolic syndrome is a cluster of symptoms that gives you a warning that you're developing insulin resistance. And if those indicators escalate into prediabetes and then they're not addressed, it can escalate into full-blown diabetes. The American Diabetes Association says that they're obese Inactive patients with high blood pressure slowly develop insulin resistance, and that often develops into prediabetes. Now, I find the word obesity to be a little deceptive. When I hear that word, I think of someone who's severely overweight, because that's the word that, as a kid, I always heard people refer to when I saw someone who is at least 100 pounds, if not more, overweight. But the criteria for obese now today is simply a BMI, body mass index, of 30 or more. And I'll post a link to a BMI calculator in the show notes for this episode if you want to check out what your BMI is. But to put it simply, your BMI is simply a calculation of your weight in kilograms divided by your height in meters squared. So depending on how tall you are, You don't have to be that much overweight to fall into the obesity category. So I think that's important to distinguish. And it's important because when you're dealing with metabolic syndrome and potential insulin resistance, if you have consistently high blood sugar, you're not only going to struggle even more than normal to lose weight, but you're at a higher risk of breast cancer. Remember that double-edged sword that I mentioned in the beginning of the show? So what if you're listening to this and you're thinking you have a healthy diet and you lead an active life and you don't drink a lot of sodas or eat sugary or processed foods and this just doesn't make sense. Why would you have insulin resistance? Why are you suffering from metabolic syndrome? And why is it so hard to lose weight? So hang in there with me, girl. We're going to look at some other evidence. 
So a small study in the journal Cancer in September of 2016 looked at 86 women who were diagnosed with from stage one to stage three breast cancer. Some women were premenopausal and some were postmenopausal. And amongst all these women, there were five different types of chemotherapy treatments that were administered. They didn't each get five treatments. They, amongst them all, they had five different types of chemo. The five symptoms that I discussed a minute ago of metabolic syndrome were measured before and after these women had chemotherapy treatment. And it was determined that they had no metabolic syndrome before treatment. After 12 to 18 weeks of chemotherapy, so three to four months, more than 72% of these women were diagnosed with metabolic syndrome. And not only were the symptoms of metabolic syndrome worse for these women, but those symptoms were considered to be statistically significant. And in science talk, that means that the change was likely due to chemotherapy. And it didn't matter if these women were pre or post menopausal when they started their treatment. Now, two of the most staggering statistics from the study were that their fasting insulin increased by nearly 73%. And another measurement, which is a measurement of insulin resistance, increased by almost 108% over the course of the study, which was just four months long. So what that means, that their fasting insulin increase. So your insulin is only supposed to be going up when you're eating, right? You eat something, your blood sugar increases, your insulin gets pumped in, and it says, okay, take this blood sugar down a notch. But when the insulin is high, that's showing that there's resistance to your cells listening to what insulin is telling them to do. So that measure of insulin resistance, right? Resisting doing what insulin is signaling your cells to do increased by 108%. That is a phenomenal number. Now, if you're interested in reading this study, because it has a lot of other really interesting information, I will post a link to it in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at lauralummer.com forward slash 50. Now, I don't give you this information to discourage you. I give it to you so you don't feel like you're alone or that you've done something or that you're doing something wrong. I cannot tell you how many medical professionals have told me that weight gain was not related to breast cancer treatment and how frustrated I have been over the years when my search for help, when my knocking on doors and telling people something is not right, I'm doing all the right things and it's not working, has fallen on deaf ears. And I know that's happening to you too. I know because I meet women all the time that that happens too. This shit is for real. And I hear you and I feel you. Trust me, I feel you. It's so frustrating. And now before I start talking about what you can do if you are struggling with metabolic syndrome, I just want to mention two things. One, after breast cancer treatment, there's a lot of tough adjustments you have to make. And there's a lot of trauma that you have to come to terms with. It is not unusual for me to hear my ladies in recovery 
turn to emotional eating to deal with this very difficult experience and this very challenging transition from breast cancer patient to, hey, normal life. If you find yourself there, turning to emotional eating, please reach out for support. Because just as food can be medicine, food can be destructive. And when you're consuming food that may be leading to inflammation, weight gain, and disease, and you're telling yourself you deserve it or that you've earned it, I'm going to challenge you to start practicing some mindful eating techniques, to start paying real attention to what you're putting in your mouth. Because I think that you're going to realize that you're really not helping yourself at all. And in fact, you're making yourself feel worse. And I understand the thought process and I understand the emotion, but I don't want you to feel worse. And I don't want you to go down this road of metabolic syndrome and prediabetes and full-blown diabetes because you've already been through enough. Okay, number two. In that study I told you about, there were initially 963 women screened to be participants in that study, but only 153 of those women met the eligibility requirement, which was to not have pre-existing metabolic syndrome. The reason that's frightening is because if you go into breast cancer with metabolic syndrome, you have a higher chance of poor outcomes from treatment. So we need to take the steps to get healthy, ladies. This is about living the longest, happiest, most fulfilling life possible. So what are some steps that you can take to prevent or to reverse metabolic syndrome? Okay, so you know I'm a big fan of mindful eating and food preparation, getting food ready ahead of time. No joke. Food preparation will change your life. Okay, but I'm also a huge fan of scientific data because it's fascinating and it's informing. It gives you a lot to work with. So this might be a little much for you, so give me a minute to frame it properly. You know how I encourage you to buy vegan and vegetarian cookbooks so that you can expand your choices of plant-based dishes. But inevitably, I hear people say, I don't want to be a vegetarian, and I get that. And I'm not asking anyone to be a vegetarian or a vegan. I'm not a vegetarian or a vegan. I just want you to learn ways to make yummy plant-based dishes that go way beyond steamed broccoli because I want you to enjoy them. And if you want to serve them up next to a big old steak, go for it. But try to keep your mind open to new ways of preparing food, new approaches to food. So going with that same vein of thinking, if you don't have diabetes, but you're struggling with weight, or you meet the criteria for metabolic syndrome, pick up some books and magazines or scroll the internet for recipes used for managing diabetes. Now I know you're not a diabetic, that's okay. If these foods help someone who is a diabetic, who has the full-blown disease, then certainly they're going to help you to keep from going down that road. Does that make sense? So look at those recipes and understand that they're designed with managing blood sugar in mind, and they can be really helpful for you. 
So you don't have to be a diabetic to explore that field and all of the information that's available to controlling your blood sugar. So the key here is blood sugar control. And in doing that, you may very well lose weight. And thanks to technology, you don't have to wait until your next doctor appointment to get some really good insights as to what is actually happening in your blood with your blood sugar. One thing that I've been doing is using a glucose meter that I picked up at CVS, and I take my own blood sugar measurements throughout the day. I take it when I wake up, before I go to bed, and before and after my meals, so that I can truly see how my body is responding to different foods and what the cycles of my blood sugar are throughout the day. There's no guessing involved, right? I see the data. And if I eat something that spikes my blood sugar, then I measure it longer. I see how it is another hour, and I wait another hour, and I just watch and see how does this food impact me. So let me share some of the insights that I was able to discover by using this method that most people would think, well, I'm not going to measure my blood sugar. I'm not a diabetic. Well, that's cool. I'm not a diabetic either, and I don't ever want to be. And that's why I want to see how foods are impacting my blood sugar so that I can keep it under control and know what works for me. So one of the things that I've discovered, when I go long periods without food, my blood sugar spikes. Yeah, weird, right? My liver is a blood sugar making machine. So I'm not sure if you know that, but your liver makes blood sugar. So when your blood sugar gets too low in your body, your liver goes through this lovely process and takes glycogen and turns it into blood sugar and puts it back out there. So I know that I need to eat small, frequent meals to prevent my blood sugar from spiking. Now, one of the big trends in the fitness and nutrition world, and especially in the ketogenic world, is intermittent fasting. And although I've tried intermittent fasting, and I've tested it, just mainly because I love testing things, and I tested it, and it's definitely not something that works for me because it doesn't keep my blood sugar even. So small, frequent meals. Number two, if I eat a carbohydrate by itself, and that means a good whole grain carbohydrate, I'm not talking about pasta and white rice or cookies or anything like that. I'm talking about Ezekiel's sprouted grain bread. My blood sugar goes way up and it stays up for several hours. So I know don't ever eat a carbohydrate by itself, even if it's a good whole grain carbohydrate. I need to include some fats and proteins with it. Number three, Vodka and red wine do not elevate my blood sugar. Can I have a hallelujah? Yeah. Okay, but seriously though, if pricking your finger throughout the day is overwhelming or terrifying, if you have a fear of needles, you certainly don't have to do that. It isn't necessary. Just try paying attention through mindful eating practices to how your body responds after eating different foods. Once you start creating this awareness, you start learning about how foods affect you and you learn about the ways of eating that control your blood sugar and it gets you started on the right path. And you can tell because if you eat something that within 10 to 20 minutes you start feeling shaky and weird and cold and clammy, clearly that was not something that was good for your blood sugar, right? Your energy levels should be nice and consistent throughout the day without big drops and without big surges. And that is a huge reflection of what is going on in your blood. Now, as a breast cancer survivor and as a person who wants to have healthy blood sugar levels, 
you must do this next step. You must exercise. I know, I know you don't want to hear it, but you have to hear it. You need to get 30 minutes of moving enough to break a sweat five to seven times a week, especially if you have metabolic syndrome. This will increase your sensitivity to insulin and support healthy blood sugar. Exercise is truly medicine, and any exercise is better than no exercise. So if you hear, oh my God, 30 minutes, five to seven times a week, oh my God, I can't even begin to think about that. It's okay, don't start there. Just start off with the mindset of trying to sit less. Here's a tip for you. Try checking out Groupons in your local area. I am amazed at the deals that you can find on fitness centers from Groupon. Like seriously, I recently bought one month of unlimited spin classes at a great studio that's local to me for $9. It's regularly $99. So I got a 90% discount for a month of unlimited classes. That is a smoking deal. The great thing about taking this approach, using something like Groupon or ClassPass, is that you can try lots of different workouts and lots of different studios. So even if you tried a spin class, say, and you're like, I like spin, but I just really care for that instructor, you could try different spin studios. Use a strategy like this to try to find the type of exercise and the group of people that you really enjoy. The truth is, that is what's going to keep you coming back. We do things we enjoy. And that's the truth. So have some fun with this. Find a modality of exercise you like. There are so many out there. So whether it's Pilates or yoga or spin class or weightlifting, whatever it is, find what you like and then find people you like to do it with. That is the key to consistent exercise, my friend. Now, when it comes to metabolic syndrome, pre-diabetes, managing blood sugar, you have all these tips. You've got diet and exercise. There's some information on things that can impact you. And there are lots of other factors. This can be very complicated. So you definitely want to make sure you've got your diet and exercise in check. You're well hydrated. You're eating well. You're exercising regularly. And then know there can be other factors at play that, of course, you can talk to your doctor about. Make sure and check your thyroid. Check for vitamin deficiencies. Check for kidney problems that may be causing you problems. There are definitely chemotherapy drugs that are um, toxic to the kidneys, like cisplatin and carboplatin and methotrexate and IFX. Those are known to be some of the agents that can cause damage to the kidneys. And even though I'm sure your oncologist was or is keeping an eye on that for you, it doesn't hurt to have everything checked out or at least to ask the right questions. And because blood sugar and diabetes are serious issues, there are also medications that can support you. In episode 47, I talked about an herb that is often used to support healthy blood sugar called Gymnema sylvestra, and I also talked about a commonly used pharmaceutical called metformin, which is an option for managing blood sugar. Now, metformin can also potentially have a dual benefit. In the February 2018 article titled, Is There a Connection Between Diabetes and Breast Cancer? published in U.S. News, Dr. Sagar Sadarsai, the Assistant Professor of Medicine at the Stephanie Spillman Comprehensive Breast Center at the Ohio State University Medical Center said, 
women who were diabetic and taking metformin had a 25% less risk of developing breast cancer than non-diabetic women who were not taking the drug, and that even though it isn't understood why at this point, it could be controlling blood sugar reduces risk for developing breast cancer. And he goes on to say that metformin is being actively investigated in reducing cancer risk. So definitely something you may want to speak to your physician about. Okay, so let's recap. One, now you know what metabolic syndrome is and what it can lead to. You know that in addition to diet, chemotherapy, stage of life, genetics, and inactivity can contribute to metabolic syndrome. And if you don't take steps to manage your blood sugar when you have this cluster of symptoms, it can escalate into more serious stages, including type 2 diabetes. The steps you can take include educating yourself on recipes and food used to manage diabetes, seeking support with emotional triggers that lead you to eating foods that undermine your weight and blood sugar management. And I mean, let's be serious. We all know it's not about the food, right? You know what good food is. You know you should be eating more plant-based foods, more fresh fruits and vegetables, more healthy proteins, less processed and sugary foods. It's not about that knowledge of what is the good thing to eat. Anybody can open Google and find that out. It's about the behaviors and the habits that we've developed around food. So mindful eating is a useful tool to help you develop awareness around what you're eating, why you're eating it, and how it truly makes you feel and impacts your health. You can also use a simple tool that you can pick up at any drugstore to watch how your blood sugar reacts to different foods and how your body responds throughout the day to different foods. I'll put a link to the monitor that I use in the show notes for this episode. And I like this one because if you're following a ketogenic diet, it not only measures your blood sugar, but there are strips you can use in it and it will also tell you your blood ketone levels. You also know that exercise is a critical component to managing blood sugar, and you have a fun and budget-friendly strategy to figure out how to get more exercise in your life. You also know there are herbs and medications that you can discuss with your doctor to support you, and let's talk for just a minute about that too. Now, I'm one of those people who prefers not to take prescription drugs because I want to manage things naturally whenever I can. But I also recognize that there are situations and there have been situations in my life and in the lives of people I love where without medications, I would have lost my life and I would have lost my loved ones. Things like cancer, asthma, heart disease. So controlling blood sugar is also one of those situations. I watched my father lose his life to the terrible disease of type 2 diabetes. And I don't ever want to see that again. So give yourself a break. If you need medical support, ask for it. And know that oftentimes once you get your lifestyle and your blood sugar in check, you can discontinue these meds with the consent of your doctor, of course. And if you can't discontinue them, so what? You do you. You just keep trying to live the healthiest life you can. And don't beat yourself up if you can't reach all the metrics 
because, I mean, you're the one who has set those metrics for yourself in the first place. So if they're causing you to suffer, change the expectation and just take care of yourself. Just be easy on yourself. If you want my support and guidance, you know where to find me. Come on over to thebreastcancerrecoverycoach.com and get into the Revivify program and do it in the next few days while it's still its lowest price ever because I would love to support you. All right, I hope you find some good tips in there that help you out. And until next week when I talk to you again, be good to yourself. Your courage to the test. Laid all your doubts to rest. Your mind is clearer than before. Your heart is full and wanting more. Your future's at the door. Give it all you got. No hesitating. You've been waiting all your life. This is your moment.